0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. We are continuing the series called Authentic. And based on those pictures, sometimes there are items that are real. Sometimes they're fake. And it's hard sometimes to know the difference. And nowhere is that more significant than when it comes to spiritual things. And I'm so thankful for God's Word to give us guidelines and to give us insight so that we can have a sense of what is real when it comes to spiritual things. And so for that, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. And while you're finding your spot, I'm just going to kind of give you an update. As Armin was sharing that joke about the plane that was having engine trouble, I was mindful that our youth group just departed to Manila this morning. <laughs> and uh, the good news is, I just got a text while I was sitting there. They landed safely, and uh, they're getting their bags and exchanging their money, and they're going to end up going to Every Nation Church service at, their Fort, at uh, Fort Bonifacio. And uh, so uh, continue to pray that God will be at work in their hearts and use this youth conference to be transforming for them, and we trust God it's going to be a good thing. Amen? Amen. Uh, Speaking of travel, uh, Terry is with them. She went ahead of me. I'm going to be leaving tomorrow morning, and then we're going to join them there at the Araneta Coliseum. And it's interesting that Terry and I have been doing a lot of traveling um, because about 25 years ago, uh, we met somebody who had a prophetic gift, and we were having a meal, and he just shared with Terry and I that he felt like the Lord had a word for us, and he said, be prepared, God will have you doing a lot of traveling. You know, back in those days, life was pretty simple, and so were we. And we were thinking, uh, how's that going to happen? But over the last 25 years, there have been a number of other people that have confirmed that same thing. And Terry and I have had a chance to, to minister in many places uh, throughout Asia. And um, for those of you who may not be familiar with the prophetic I remember the early days when, you know, things like that would be said. You know, I had some questions. And, uh, but, you know, as we continued to seek the Lord and walk with Him, you know, our antenna got fine-tuned a little bit more to be able to hear the voice of God. And I remember sometimes in uh, the early days of church, we would be in this moment of worship and just enjoying God's presence. And we got to this point where, as a church body, there would be a few people who had this ability to be able to hear God's word of encouragement to the rest of the group. They would pray out loud. And it would just be on target. And people would walk away from the service going, wow, God is so good. And they felt encouraged. And we didn't even know what it was back then. We just thought of it as getting in the zone. And we used to say, you know what? Next week, let's do it again. And it was just this high time spiritually in the life of the church. And it was such, it's such a good thing when you know God is speaking to you. Because just one word from God and the kind of encouragement and the hope and the joy and the breakthrough that he can bring is like no other. Amen? We're talking about authentic. And we're going to read uh, some verses in Romans chapter 14. Before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. How many of you know what is the greatest counterfeit scam in all of history? The greatest counterfeit scam in all of history? Turns out it happened during World War II. As you recall, Hitler was at war with Great Britain, and he decided that he would engage in economic warfare. And it was the first time that... A state had brought together its resources, its intelligence, its skills to put together such a scam. And Hitler's plan, his strategy, was to flood the market with British pounds. Two million dollars worth. Back in 1945, that was a lot of money. And the idea was to cause inflation so that the British economy lost power and the, the British pound became weak. That was a plan to flood the market. Toward the end of the war, after uh, the money had been made, the plan was to execute all of those who had been involved in making the counterfeit money to hide the conspiracy. There was about a team of 50 people. And the executors only had one truck to transfer them to the point of execution. And so they had to make three trips. And on the third trip, the truck broke down, and so there was a delay in their plan, and the, the group that was already on site was being told to go into these tunnels where they were going to be executed. They knew something was wrong, and they rebelled, and they scattered, and the, the people in the third trip, um, when they got there, things had gone chaotic, and the plan failed, and they escaped. One of the survivors of those 50 people, his name is Adolf Berger. And he wrote a book about his experience. And in 2009, it was translated into English. And the title of the book is The Devil's Workshop. How many of you know there's only one creator? And the devil can never create anything new. He can only make counterfeits. He can only make counterfeits of what already exists. What already exists, as Armin described so well is God's goodness and kindness will hunt you down. That's his plan for you. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, but the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. God's blessings are for you. But Satan has counterfeits. And he's a master counterfeiter. He's kind of like um, a master fisherman who has all these baits to try and lure you and to get your attention. And you know, some master fishermen, if they're really good, they've got a tackle box and there's all kinds of lures in there. And what a master fisherman will do is he'll go, like say he's rod and reeling at a river, and he'll observe the fish and he'll watch what they're eating. And then what he'll try to do is once he notices what the fish are eating, he'll try to find a lure that matches the insect that they're feeding on. And so then he'll toss that into the river and then start catching fish. In the same way, the enemy observes us. He's been doing this for years. He's in the business of temptation. And he looks at what attracts us. What is it that we are tempted to be lured toward? And then he reaches into his tackle box and there's a a million lures in there. And he picks out one that looks something like that and tosses it out into the pond of our life and just waits. The tricky thing about temptation is if we take the bait... Sometimes there's no immediate consequence. Sometimes we do something that's a compromise. We know it's not what God wants. We do it, and then we think, oh, wasn't that bad? Nothing happened? It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, they, they, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, the message was, if you do that, you'll die. But they ate from it, and then they were like, I'm still alive. Maybe, maybe it's okay. Okay. Maybe it's not going to hurt. Maybe nothing's going to happen. What happens is sometimes a good fisherman, when he hooks a fish, he lets it reel, let it go out. He's going to let that fish get tired and let it run its course before he starts reeling it in. Every once in a while, he'll pull a little back, a little tension on, you know, just to make sure you're still hooked. But he's eventually going to reel that fish in. And sometimes we're going around in life and we've done some kind of compromise and, you know, in our conscience, there's this sound that goes zzzz. We're like, what is that? You know, he's just waiting until he reels us in. And there comes a point in time when he can pull us out of the water of comfort and peace and joy. And we're like, what the heck just happened? Not realizing it was something that maybe I chose earlier down the road. The good news is this. Even though... The enemy may have tempted and may have deceived, and we may have responded. The good news is that when we recognize it and we confess it and we turn away from it, the one who is the true fisher of men can unhook us and put us in the pond of his kingdom and set us free. Amen. God is good. There's only one creator. The devil can never create anything new. He can only create counterfeits. You know how FBI agents and bank tellers can tell a counterfeit bill? They don't study the counterfeits. What they do is they study the original. And they become so familiar with every single aspect of the original that if they see a bill that doesn't look like that, automatically that's a counterfeit. And what we need to do in our lives is we need to draw close to God to know the workings of His Spirit and to know His Word so that when anything else comes into our path, automatically we know, oh, that's counterfeit. We need to be very familiar with the truth. We need to study the real thing. In this series, we are studying the marks of authentic Christianity. And in week one, we talked about authentic Christianity are those who know how to honor authority. In week two, we talked about authentic Christianity are those who are able to love their neighbors. And today, in week three, authentic Christianity is those who know how to love the weak. And by weak, we're not talking about those who are weak physically. We're talking about those who are weak in faith. And on that point, today I want to talk about the ABCs of being able to love those who are weak in faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us. God, thank you that your goodness and kindness will follow us. Father, may we be drawn to you. Lord, may you help us see the counterfeits and stay far from them. God, I ask that you would impart your heart and your mind through your word. Father, teach us how to love others, even those who have different opinions about how to live a life of faith in Christ. And We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be reading Romans chapter 14. We're going to read the entire chapter. It's, it's quite long, it's 23 verses, but I think it's very much worth it, something we need to be familiar with. And as we're reading it, if I could give a title to this chapter, it would be called Unity Within Diversity. So let's begin with verse 1 of Romans 14. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Verse 3. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Verse 5, In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another. While others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. And those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Verse 9. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose. To be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, We all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Verse 14, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. And that's the complete chapter of Romans fourteen. Let me just share a little bit of a background of what Paul was speaking to in his day. Back in the early days their Christianity was just forming, and there was lots of culture around them that they were having to get it to, to adjust out of. And one of them is that there were many temples where animals were sacrificed. And it was often a source of meat in the market that many retailers actually purchased their meat from the temples that sacrificed the animals. And Christians were purchasing meat and some of them were eating meat that may have been sacrificed at the temple. And other Christians were looking at that and going, what are you doing? Don't you know where that came from? You can't eat that. You're actually participating in that pagan ritual by consuming the meat that was, that was sacrificed there. And other Christians were going, what? What are you talking about? Don't you know in Acts where Peter had the vision of the sheet lowered down by four corners and the Lord told him to eat, to kill and eat. And he said, no, Lord, my lips have never touched anything unclean. And the Lord said, whatever I have declared clean, do not call unclean. And so there was a group of Christians who were looking at this other group going, man, you guys are compromisers. I mean, you you don't have any commitment. Where's your walk with God? And there was another group looking back at them going, you guys are legalistic. You're stuck. I mean, you're not up to date with what God has shown. And they were having this argument that was going back and forth. And so Paul wrote a letter to address this issue. Another issue that happened back in that day is which day should we celebrate the Lord? Some were saying, shouldn't you celebrate the Lord on the Sabbath, the seventh day? Others were saying, well, shouldn't we celebrate the Lord on Resurrection Day? Others were saying, shouldn't you celebrate the Lord every day? Today, I want to talk about the ABCs of authentic Christianity Letter A stands for accept. Accept one another. Verse 1 of chapter 14 says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, what Paul is talking about here is not just any difference. He's talking about differences where it's only a matter of conscience. He's not talking about sinful behavior. There are some things in the Bible where the Bible clearly says, this is sin, don't do it. There are other matters in life the Bible doesn't speak to. And Paul is saying when you have those kinds of issues, we need to be clear in our conscience about what we think is right as we seek to honor God. So what are some examples of things where the Bible doesn't really talk to us about? One can be... Clothing style, attire. You know, I remember Terry and I, we, went to, we once went to a church in Colorado, and we were used to the style here on Guam. And we walked in, man, everybody was in three-piece suit and tie. We felt so underdressed, man. We sat in the back, you know, and just like couldn't wait for service to be over. <laughs> so the next week we dressed up, but we went to a different church. And I tell you, I kid you not, they were wearing shorts and slippers. So you know what? As I did a lot of traveling, I began to call ahead of time and go, what is the attire of your church? (laughs) So that I could not be surprised. But, you know, Christians differ on that. And some really do want to honor God. They're like, you know what? I honor God because I dress the best that I can for my king. I'm not going to walk in any other way. Other people are like, you know what? I want to relate to young people. I want to relate to newcomers. I don't want even my clothing to separate me from them. And so we dress casual so other people feel welcome. Both of those are honoring motivations. Amen? Amen. What are some other differences? One is music style. You know, some churches you go and the music style is very somber and very solemn. And they're into high worship. And Nothing wrong with that. Other churches, I don't know which churches these are, but their music is very lively. And they have people who jump around. (laughs) Gotta watch out for those jumpers. Some of them even raise their hands. Yeah, all kinds of differences that the Bible doesn't tell us what's right or wrong. How about alcohol? Is it okay to have a glass of wine when you celebrate your anniversary? How about war? Is it okay to participate in war? There are many camps on both sides of that. How about politics? Can a Christian be a Democrat? (laughs) The question itself kind of is leading. It's all about motivation and conscience. Only God sees the heart. And Paul is calling us, in, in cases of conscience, he's saying to accept one another. So what is the opposite of accepting? What is the opposite of forgiving? Yeah, I heard, I heard it, judging. Yeah, Paul's saying we are not to judge one another. <clears throat> Jesus said it also in Luke six thirty seven. He said very clearly, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So on that note, I think it's important to describe three types of judgment because not all judgment is bad. One of them is actually good. And that is, when you have a, a discernment to know if a situation is safe or not, that's a good kind of judgment that we should all exercise. I mean, we tell our kids, before you cross the road, look both ways and make sure it's safe. That's something that we want to keep. But there's two other kinds of judgment that are not good. And one of them is when we look at something, we see something, and we have an attitude about it. You know, you know I don't like that, and, I, and maybe even I don't like that person. And so when there's a condemnation mixed in there, that's the kind of judgment the Bible says don't make. Now, sometimes it's subtle. Maybe it's not strong. It's hard to tell. One way to know if, I'm, if I've fallen into that kind of judgment is, does my response create any kind of relational distance between me and that person? If I'm feeling like, you know what, I, I don't necessarily want to associate with them or talk to them or look at them because of that, then you've probably got a degree of condemnation going on in the response. Another kind of judgment that is also not good, but much harder to tell, is when we make assumptions. Sometimes we see something, and we make an assessment of it, but in fact, you know, we might say to ourselves, oh, I I know why they did that, when in fact, no, we really don't know. If you saw me speeding down Marine Drive at 80 miles an hour, and you recognized my car, you would go, whoa, was that Pastor Mark? wow, hmm, I wonder if the leadership should know about this. (laughs) But then the next day you got an email, please pray for Pastor Mark. His wife, Terry, had a stroke and he rushed her to the hospital. Ah, okay, that explains it. That's a whole different situation now. And many times we observe things and we think we know, but we we don't have the full picture. We need to be careful about judgment, making assumptions. So there are three kinds. One of them is good. Two are not. All of this is referring to how we respond to other people. And, and, and I highlight these because these are hindrances that get in the way of acceptance. And it may not be something that's truly sin. It could be a hairstyle. It could be a clothing style. It could be a personality type. And we look at people and we're kind of like, you know, Sometimes we have that response. And so God is asking us to accept one another on matters of conscience. So we're talking about the ABCs of authentic Christianity. A is to accept. B is to build one another. And Grace, if we could go back to Romans uh, 14, verse 19, if we could look at that. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Now, how can I do this based on my role model, based on my behavior? You know, we want to encourage, we want to build up, but it needs to be more than words. It needs to be in action. Because how many of you know people will do what you do, not what you say? Amen? Let me give an example. Hold up your fist. I want you to take your fist and place it on your chin. Is that your chin? (laughs) See, we do what we see. We don't do what we hear. We need to find how can I encourage others, how can I build them up by my actions, by my behavior, so that what they see will be what they follow. So how can we live in a way that will build others in their faith? through our role model. I want to present to you some guiding principles when it comes to matters of conscience. Here's a good question to ask. If I'm not sure if this is going to build up another, here's a question to ask. Does it honor God? Does it honor God? The other is, does it encourage others to walk with God? Does it encourage others to walk with God? Here's an easy way to remember it. Just remember the vision of our church. To honor God and to make disciples. Does it honor God and does it encourage others to walk with God? I'd like us to also read verse 7 and 8. Grace, if we could switch over to that. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die... We belong to the Lord. And so there it is in the passage. This is the important question to ask is, does it honor the Lord? The next one is, does it encourage others to walk with God? And for that, let's go to verse 13 of Romans 14. Verse 13 says, So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble or to fall. And so the question to ask is, does it encourage others in their walk with God? I want to share with you a real-life example Um, with my wife and I when we first got married. um, (laughs) I was so excited about witnessing to people. And um, I just took every opportunity I could to talk to anybody I could. And we had this neighbor next door. He looked like this retired military guy and uh, older guy, and he used to sit on the porch in the evenings and he would have a beer. And I said to Terry, hey, let's go visit our neighbors and get to know them. So we sat down. He's, hey, Mark, how's it going? And offered us a seat. He goes, hey, you want a beer? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I took the beer, popped the can, took a sip. You know, and we're sitting there talking, getting to know each other, about a half hour. We're like, okay, you know, it's time to go. Went back into the house and shut the door and Terry turned around. And she goes, I cannot believe you just did that. I was like, did what? She goes, you just blew your witness. I was like, I did? What are you talking about? She goes, you drank that beer. I was like, yeah? <laughs> I can't believe you did that. I was like, what's wrong with that? She goes, don't you know? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> I was like, no, it's not. Who said it's wrong? She grew up in a church. Spiritually, when she came to the Lord, she went to a church that taught her that if you even enter a restaurant that has a bar, you have compromised your witness by entering an establishment that's questionable. Much less touch it yourself. And she had no idea you know, what my experience or convictions or background was, and I had no idea what hers were on that particular point. And Whoa, rude discovery. We argued till 10 o'clock. The lights were off. We're both getting tired. We've got to work the next day. I know none of you have ever done this, but we were arguing until 10 o'clock at night. And finally, all of a sudden, I'm just in prayer. I was like, Lord, what do I do? And I remembered this passage. And I said to her, and I I told her I explained the passage. And uh, back in those days, I knew a little bit more Bible than she did. She has surpassed me now. (laughs) The Lord knew I needed a head start. (laughs) But um, I explained the passage and I said, based on what Paul has said, I said, I'm going to make a commitment to you. I said, I'm sorry this has hurt you. I said, "Um, I'm going to promise you that I will never do that again. And I made that commitment. I'll never do that again because it created a struggle for her. She was happy after that. (laughs) What's the point of that story? The point is this. We need to be willing to give up personal freedom for the sake of another. We need to give up personal freedom for the sake of another. Jesus illustrates an example of this in surrendering his own personal freedom. It's found in Matthew 17. We don't have the scripture. I'm just going to read it to you. In verse 24, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and they asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. When Peter came, into the t- came back into the house where Jesus was before he even had a chance to speak, Jesus said, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect taxes? From their own children or from others? And Peter said, said from others. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. What's the point of that story? If you look a little bit deeper, Jesus is saying, From whom do the kings of the earth collect taxes? From their children or from others? The answer is from others. The connection with Jesus in asking that question is, His Father is the King of kings. In fact, He and His Father, along with the Holy Spirit, created this place called the universe. If the tax collectors even knew who they were talking to, they would not be asking that question. I mean, imagine that you're the owner of an apartment and you hire an apartment manager. And then you come and you inquire the manager, are there any spaces available? And he says, yeah, but it would cost you rent to stay there. And you lose your job over that question. <laughs> That's totally inappropriate. Jesus was saying, as the son of the Most High, I'm not obligated to pay any taxes. That's his personal freedom. But so that they may not... Cause, so that it may not cause offense. Go and throw your line in, in the lake, catch a fish, take the coin, go pay your tax and mine. How do we decide when to take a stand that may be offensive? And when do we kind of back off? Because you notice Jesus oftentimes when he spoke to the Pharisees, Sometimes he offended them. Other times, like in this, he said, well, go along with the program and pay the tax. Even though he didn't have to if he didn't want to. What's the difference? And here's, here's the difference. Whenever it came to speaking truth, Jesus never compromised, even if it offended. He always spoke the truth. When it came to exercising his personal freedom, he was willing to let it go for the sake of others. You know, that's a picture of what he did when he came down from heaven. He didn't have to come. He gave up his personal freedom and right for us, for our sake. Sometimes we have to forego personal freedoms for the sake of another. That's one way we can build or encourage another person. Jesus never compromised the truth but he did relinquish his personal freedom for us. We're talking about the ABCs of authentic Christianity. A is to accept one another. B is to build one another. And lastly, C is to celebrate one another. Verse 17, if we could put that up on the screen. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hmm. How many of you know that if you're experiencing goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, you have cause to celebrate? The celebration is not just for our private use. It's not just for our personal experience. It's something God wants us to experience together. And one way that we can do that is to be able to celebrate others. to to be able to celebrate who they are. And sometimes that's hard because we look at behaviors and we think, "Mm, I got a problem. (laughs) But I think it's important for us to separate the difference between the behavior and the person. You know, it took me a long time to get that. When we first got married, Terry asked me, she said, do you think that who a person is is different from what they do? I said, no, they're one and the same. That's what I honestly believed back then, 25 years ago. You know, speaking of accepting others and building others up and being understanding about differences, uh, don't get too bent out of shape when somebody says something you don't agree with. If it doesn't agree with your theology, I don't agree with my own theology three years from now. And you probably won't with yours ten years from now. We change and we grow, and God gives wisdom and understanding. But there is a difference between who we are and what we do. I'll give you an example from Genesis. When they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God came to them and he said, what did you do? And Adam said, well, is that woman you gave me. So he blamed both the woman and God. And so he turned to Eve and said, what did you do? And she said, well, it wasn't me. It was a serpent. He deceived me. You notice neither one of them answered the question. He didn't say who's to blame. He just said, what did you do? And in that moment, there was a subtle but very significant switch that took place. We moved from what is wrong to who is wrong. God wasn't asking, who are you? He said, what did you do? And they started to blame each other. No, he's the bad guy. Oh, no, no, she's the bad person. And very often, I've counseled so many couples, oftentimes we're fighting over who should sit in the seat called the good guy. And one of the spouses is saying, I'm the good guy, he's the bad guy. And she's saying, no, I'm the good person, he's the bad guy. And they fight over that seat of who's the good guy back and forth, back and forth, forever and ever. I did that too. You know when peace making starts happening is when we get to a place where we both say I have done wrong. When we both get to that place where I, where we can say I have done wrong. Please forgive me. That's the that's the first step to having an environment where peace can be restored. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. And you can celebrate the other person by making that distinction. Like I said two weeks ago, if for no other reason that they are created in the image of God, every person deserves to be honored. Let me say this to help us in this process of authentic Christianity. Disagreement is not the same as disunity. Disagreement is not the same as disunity. You can be in disagreement with somebody, but still be on good terms with them. Disunity happens when I let the disagreement close my heart to that other person. And usually it's accompanied with judgment. It creates that relational distance between you and the other person. And God is saying, don't judge. Don't judge. Keep your heart open to each other. You know, whenever people go through difficult, difficult experiences, one of my prayers is, God, help them keep their heart open. Help Help them keep their heart soft. Don't close up. Don't become an armored tank where nobody can get in, including God. Lord, help them to stay open. You know, we we go through offenses, we go through hurts, we go through conflicts all the time. And I just want to encourage us we can't fulfill the great commandment to love one another if we close our heart. We have to stay open and stay soft. You know, the scary thing about that is I'm vulnerable if I do. I don't want to go, I don't want to get hurt again. None of us do. We all need protection. The problem is where do we get our protection? Do I get it from my own devices or do I get it from the Lord? One is trusting in self, the other is trusting in God. Now, if we keep our eyes on him and trust that he is with us and for us and will protect us, it'll help us in being able to to stay open in our heart in relationship to one another. You can agree to disagree agreeably. So, just to summarize... Authentic Christianity, especially when it comes to loving those who are weak in faith, accept one another, build one another, and celebrate one another. There's another popular saying that you've probably heard before, but it's worth repeating at this moment. We can go to the next slide. In the essentials, let there be unity. In the non-essentials, let there be liberty. And in everything, let there be charity. Charity is an old English word for love. There are only two doctrines that are essential. Only two. Because they determine your eternal destiny. One is the identity of Jesus. That's been a debate for centuries. Who was he? And in John 17:3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so he was defining eternal life not in terms of time, not in terms of eternity. He defined it in terms of a relationship and whether or not you actually knew the person that we're talking about having a relationship with. So that's one, is knowing Jesus. The other is the method of salvation. It's very common throughout the world, it's a human thing, to think that my right standing with God is dependent on my performance. I have to earn it. I have to work for it. But the Bible says very differently in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's not by your work. It's not by your performance. It's by God's grace, which is an undeserved gift that you can receive freely by faith. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. It's a free gift. You know, a gift to us is free. It's free to us. It's not free to the one who gave it. It cost him everything. But he offers it to us for free. There are only two doctrines that are essential, the identity of Jesus and the method of salvation. If a person understands that God came down to earth in the form of a man and they've invited him into their life, you can have fellowship with that person because they're a fellow heir of the kingdom. It's a free gift that God gives to that person. But we put up so many other standards you know, if you don't believe this or that, well then maybe we can't fellowship with each other. And God doesn't put that up. The Bible's very clear about what our relationship is to the world and to the unbelievers, but we add a whole lot of more stuff on top of that. In the essentials, let there be unity. You know, unity is God's heart. When we have unity, the church... Can be a powerful witness of God's love. I'd like to share with you a video that will be an example of unity. It's an example of teamwork. And it's an example of being unified and focused on one thing and what that can do when we are. So, Patrick. It's pressure, you know, your team is waiting there for you, 20 people working at that pit stop for that three seconds, must be fully concentrated, fully prepared. BMW Motorsport's highly anticipated return to the DTM in 2012 sees the arrival of a 4-litre V8 500 brake horsepower new M3. With BMW Motorsport's exceptional track record in the DTM, expectations are high. In motor racing, nothing tests teamwork like a pit stop. So if you try to imagine a car approaching at 80 km per hour, you have to drive in through the people and you have to park the car in within like 10-15 centimeters. so it's very difficult if you're 10 centimeters too far or 10 centimeters too early, you you know, the whole team has to move and that costs quite a lot of time. Practice and testing, this is a very important point because at the pit stops you can also win or lose a race. They always say practice makes perfect, but I think practice makes better. I don't think you'll see a perfect pit stop. You have to keep, of course, the engine running and you have to be very active. As soon as the car gets to the ground, you, you launch. You need complete trust in the team. The team is, you know, giving you the, the confidence in the car. And for me, that aspect is, is so important. BMW Motorsport drivers and crew put in the hours of practice. So when it comes to that vital few seconds... We know they have the strength to perform as a team. We're not advertising car oil. (laughs) But we are advertising unity and the power of being one in purpose. And our, our oneness is not about anything. The oneness is very clearly about being focused on one relationship, and that is with Jesus Christ, and on one purpose, to be able to build up and encourage others as we make disciples in Micronesia and beyond. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you bring clarity and you guide with principles that are eternal, Lord, that are loving, that are representative of your heart. And I pray, God, that you would impart your heart to us Lord, apart from you, uh, we can't do it. Lord, we can't overcome all the differences that are out there. But with the help of your Holy Spirit and by our faith, God, you can transform us from the inside and teach us the language of love. And I pray, Lord, that you would start first and foremost just in our homes, in our relationships. Lord, the tone of voice in the living room and in the kitchen. And Lord, work outward from there as you purify us, as you sanctify us, to be a witness to the rest of the community around us. God, we ask for your enabling, for your empowering, and for your hand of guidance as we continue to seek you, how we can honor you, and how we can encourage one another. If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we've been talking about a relationship with God, There may be some here in this room that you're here today because you want to establish one. And if that sounds like you, I want to give you an opportunity to do that by simply praying. I'm going to pray out loud, and you can join me in your heart. God will hear you. But before we pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with, and I have a little signal for that. If you would simply look up. When my eyes meet yours, then I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if that sounds like something that you would like to do, if you've never asked God into your life before, and you want to do that today, then go ahead and look up at this time. Okay, I see you, yes. Anybody else? Okay, anybody else? Okay. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I'm here today. Lord, I know that you've been getting my attention. That's why I'm here today. And I'm making a choice to respond to you by opening up. I want to open up my life to you. And I'm asking you to show yourself to me, to make yourself real to me. I'm opening my heart and inviting you to come in and be a part of my life. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for things I've done that have been hurtful to others, to myself, even to my relationship with you. Father, I invite you to forgive me through your son, Jesus. And I receive him. I receive your spirit into my life. And I ask that you would change me and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Give me a new start. Lord, show me your way to live life. Father, I commit myself to you. And I thank you for coming into my life. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do something. We have a free gift for you. It's a little booklet called One to One. And that'll help you in developing your relationship with God. But I always encourage everyone not to go through it by yourself. It's not a booklet that you just read, but it's something that you go through with another person. And together you can encourage each other. And you can grow together as you learn from each other and ask questions and and journey together. And so if you would simply... uh, Come up to see me or over to the table over here. We'll give you one of those booklets. They're free. Or if you have a smartphone, you can download the app. It's for free. Uh, if, you, if you type in one-to-one, you won't find it. You have to type in one-to-one booklet, and then it'll pop up. But that's available. And, um, and I trust that as you develop your relationship with God, you're going to experience good things. His goodness and kindness is pursuing you. Amen? Let's all stand as we close in prayer. If you would like prayer um, more one-on-one, I want to invite you to come up later after the service. There'll be people standing up here to pray with you. Father, I thank you for each person here. And Father, I thank you for what they're doing, what you're doing in their hearts. And if you would just keep your eyes closed for a minute, I want to ask you to process a question and just ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me? How are you speaking to me? Just want you to dwell on that for a moment. And if that's clear to you, just want to invite you to pray along with me. Lord, I hear you. I understand. For those who don't, just invite you to continue to seek the Lord throughout the week, and He will speak in His time. But for those who have a clear sense of what God is saying, I want to invite you just to say yes to the Lord. Just want to invite you to. Respond to him in your heart and say, God, I want to. I want to follow you. I want to follow your guidance. And Lord, would you enable me to do so as I trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.